How often have you sat through the same type of presentation over and over and over again? Super boring, right? What if we could give our learners a framework for creating engaging and meaningful presentations? So often I talk about Genius Hour and an important part of Passion Projects is giving a presentation. In this episode, I talk with Tiffany Perry, a fifth grade teacher, as she shares a framework that she's created to make presentations not only engaging, but also super meaningful for her learners. I can't wait for you guys to hear all of the tools and resources that she shares in this episode. Let's get started. What is up? Welcome to a Meaningful Mess podcast. I'm your host, Andy McNair, and I believe that it's perfectly fine for learning to be messy as long as it's meaningful. Yep, I said what I said. Each week on my podcast, I share manageable and meaningful ideas for you to utilize to engage and empower gifted learners. But let's be honest, good teaching is just good teaching. My hope is that the ideas and strategies shared on each episode will help you find meaning in your mess. Let's do this. How are you? Welcome to episode 63 of a Meaningful Mess podcast. Well, I always love the opportunity when I get to talk to educators who are doing the work in the classroom, and today is no different. I am super stoked about talking to Tiffany Perry today, and we were actually able to connect over on Instagram. You know, I just joined Instagram like a year and a half ago, really doing it faithfully and connecting with people. And I have made such amazing connections through that platform. So this is one of those connections. And um, Tiffany, I'm going to ask you to kind of introduce yourself and share what you do. And then I'll share a little bit about specifically how we connected and what you're going to talk about on today's episode. Yay. Hi, I'm super excited to be here. Um, I teach fifth grade in Central Florida. Um, This is my seventh year teaching. And for six out of my seven years, I've had gifted students in my general education classroom. Um, I really love what I do. Um, I've taught all all subjects, but this year I'm teaching science and writing. Very cool. I think that's, you know, that's the story for a lot of educators. Like they're general education teachers, but they have gifted learners in the classroom. And that can be so challenging because you have your learners who may be struggling a little bit. You have your learners who are just kind of right on target. And then you have those that are not struggling at all. And so that's such a difficult, it's so hard sometimes to find the balance. And I think one of the things that I'm so passionate about is like really having the conversation of how do we do that in a way that makes sense and still makes the classroom feel like a place that gifted learners want to be. So gosh, first of all, just thank you for the work that you do, because I recognize that that is not easy work. Um, But we actually connected over a tweet that I shared on my Instagram story. And I had said something around the idea of passion projects will fizzle out quickly if we don't prioritize purpose. And 
I think that's something that I kind of missed when I first started implementing Genius Hour or passion-based learning in my classroom was that idea of, you know, I couldn't just focus on their passion because they could get excited about something and it would fizzle out really quickly. It wasn't until we really began to kind of prioritize purpose that things began to shift and they became much more, I guess, engaged or much more um, into the projects that they were working on. And so you responded to that story and said that you and your teaching partner had actually written an article in Edutopia around a similar idea, like this idea of things being purposeful. And so you shared the article with me and I went and read it and I just thought it made so much sense. And the article that you guys wrote, I'll let you share about it because you obviously know more about it than I do, but really was around the idea of presentation. And so, um, you know, the six piece of Genius Hour that I talk about so often on this podcast, I talk about how students start with their passion, they plan their project out, pitch their idea to the class, work on a project to develop a product, and then give a presentation, which is what I really want to dig into today, because you guys did a great job laying out just three specific things to keep in mind. So will you just tell me a little bit about the article and where that came from? And then we'll talk about those three pieces. Yeah, so we really, um, we kind of started getting annoyed because anytime we mentioned the word project, as soon as it came out of our mouths, we got, can I make a PowerPoint? And I mean, we know elementary kids, all kids have that enthusiasm somewhere, but we were just like, okay, but there are so many other options. You don't have to just do a PowerPoint. And PowerPoint is a phenomenal tool. Um, and I've seen some fantastic student PowerPoints, but I've also had to sit through um, watching a student struggle with a giant block of text that they've copied from some website. And their pres presentation is them awkwardly staring at it and stumbling over the words. <laughs> and so we were like, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, there has to be a better way. So that's what kind of started our idea um, with our framework. Um, that's the three steps. It's purpose, depth, and then delivery. That's the presentation piece. Um, and after we implemented it for a year, maybe two, um, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe we should submit this. And um, because it has helped presentations in our classroom, um, hopefully it can do the same for other educators. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I love, as I read the article, I was just thinking about how often, I mean, that's a question that I think a lot of us that talk about genius hour or passion-based learning. That's a very common question. I think you guys were running into the same problem that so many teachers run into, even if it's just PBL, even if it's not genius hour, anytime kids have to present, they typically go to something that they're familiar with. Sometimes that's a poster. Um, sometimes it is a PowerPoint like you shared, but they go to something that either everybody else is doing or something that they're familiar with. And so I think it's so important that we challenge them to present what they know in different ways. And I think what you guys have kind of figured out is how we can do that in a way that's meaningful versus just saying, you know, I've even given the advice before, like have a tic-tac-toe board or have a have three options and don't let them choose the same option every time. But the reality is even that is still maybe not as meaningful, I think, as what you guys have come up with. So will you talk to us a little bit about the purpose part of presentation and the role that that plays, because I think one of the things that most of us are realizing um, in education right now is that for this generation, really, I would say for every, genera every generation, we're just kind of now seeing this very clearly, is that purpose has to be prioritized. Like they have to know why 
it's happening or why they're expected to do it in order for it to be meaningful. So talk to me a little bit about purpose and then we'll dive into the other two parts of the framework. So with purpose, um, what we've started doing is using the question formulation technique um, because backing up just a little bit, I know when I read A Meaningful Mess um, and Genius Hour, I was so excited to bring passion-based learning into the classroom, but I also felt a little overwhelmed and a little unsure because I wanted to be able to tie it back to my content. Nice. Um, so for that purpose piece and kind of finding the balance between the two, we start um, in science specifically, I start every unit with the question formulation technique um, and we generate questions about the topic. Um, like right now we're working on, on animal and plant adaptations. So um, I had my classes generate questions, just things that are related, but may not be covered in our um, like standard curriculum. Um, so we start with that. And from those questions, we get our purpose. Um, and when I'm explaining this to kids and trying to um, help them understand that they need a clear purpose in their project, um, and I've included these questions in the article as well, but they are, why am I doing this project? Um, what questions do I have about this topic? And what am I excited to learn more about? Mm -hmm. Because I've seen those projects too that um, students just present things they already know. Um, so I'll ask the question when they're finished presenting, like what new interesting thing did you learn from this? And they're like, oh, I knew this already. Like my source was my brain. I've heard that a lot. Um, and yeah, so much, right? Um, I, especially with our gifted learners, um, they come to school all the time and they, they know a lot of things and mm -hmm. that's fantastic. But, and something that I've really been trying to push specifically this school year, I want to make sure every kid who comes in my classroom gets to learn something new that day. Oh, so, I love so much. Yeah. And that doesn't always happen with our standard curriculum. Mm -hmm. So bringing in passion-based learning and using this framework, um, has really helped, um, you know, make sure that can happen. Okay, so a couple of things that you said. First of all, I absolutely love what you said about experiencing new learning. That's actually one of my core beliefs. I believe that every yes. learner deserves an opportunity to experience new learning. And I just think it's so important for educators to wrap their mind around that, but also to not be overwhelmed by it. Like, that doesn't mean that you have to design this, you know, huge thing for them to do. It's just like you're saying, these small opportunities to help them understand that I'm not, I love what you said too about your students saying that their their brain was one of their sources. Like, oh, I just already knew this stuff. Well, then what are we doing? Like, what's the purpose of the project or whatever it is that you're working on? Will you share a little more detail about QFT? And I want to say a couple of things real quick. If you're listening to the podcast, um, I am going to link to their, I'm going to link their Edutopia article in the show notes. And I'll also link to question formulation technique because that comes from rackquestion.org. But Tiffany, will you share in detail maybe what question formulation technique looks like in your classroom? Like what are kind of the steps you guys go through to make that happen in case somebody hasn't heard of QFT at all? I've done this a few ways. Sometimes I actually start with a question of my own. Um, like right now, and I do a lot of Socratic seminars, which is off topic, but just a little plug for Socratic seminars. They're great if you haven't tried them. Um, but our question right now is, um, why do some plants and animals survive while others die off? And that's, of course, a simple answer adaptations, but um, there are so many layers to that. Mm -hmm. So with question formulation technique, I might give them just the topic of adaptations. Um, 
or I'll give them that question and have them come up with more questions from that. And I have to be very clear when we do it that um, whenever we're generating those questions, they need to be something that the students are curious about and they each get to make their own list in their notebook. And then I pick some of them to like write in my own notebook as we're sharing them out. Um, they need to be something they're curious about. And when we're in that formulation part, um, we're not trying to answer any of the questions. So even if a classmate comes up with a question and, you're, and you already know that answer, that is great for you, but I don't wanna hear that answer right now because that's something they are curious about. Um, so that first piece of generating those questions and um, generating them without feeling self-conscious about them too um, has been a really big piece of that for my classes. Um, and the first time I do it every year, we sit in silence for you know a minute um, and that can feel very, very uncomfortable. Yes. And something else that can be uncomfortable is, um, and I know my first few years teaching, I would got very scared when kids asked questions I didn't know the answers to. I felt very uncomfortable. And that's something that I've had to step back and be like, no, it's okay. These kids are, there's never going to be a time in their life that they're not going to have a device somewhere close by that they can find answers when they need them. So it has to be the same for me. I don't have to have all the answers. I get to learn alongside them. Um, so that's the biggest part of that, that uh, formulation process is coming up with the questions, not feeling self-conscious about them, and just generating as many as we can at a time. And then from there, we move to grouping the questions together. Um, so if like one student had a very specific question about snakes. And so we started talking about what are some other questions about snakes. So you can, instead of that, just that one very specific question, kind of broaden your topic a little bit. And then some of them had really big questions that mm. um, were very vague. And I was like, okay, can we ask questions that are a little bit more specific, but related? Um, so that whole first part is just practicing asking those questions. Because sometimes, you know, kids too, they want to know things, but they don't know how to ask. We run into this as adults too. Like we need yeah. to know answers to stuff, but like, I don't know what to look up to find the answer to this. So it's a good practice in itself, but it gets them thinking about things differently. Um, it ignites that curiosity and it makes it personal. So it's a great activity in my opinion. Gosh, I, I agree. I talk about question formulation technique a lot just because, I, look, I've done it with adults and it's hard for adults. Just like you said, like it's hard for us sometimes to ask questions and, and unanswered questions is actually, I don't know, depth and complexity, the depth and complexity icons um, that Sandra Kaplan and Betty Gold created. One of those icons is unanswered questions. And if you um, work in the gifted community, you probably know what those are. And this is a great way to make those a reality. But I was going to say, Tiffany, when you were, as you were kind of sharing, um, and you said that some of your kids, they want to give answers. And oftentimes those are gifted learners, right? Like when they know the answer to something, they want to tell the person what the answer is. And one of the rules with question formulation technique is that you 100% can only ask questions. You cannot say anything as a statement or you can't respond with an answer to a question. And I think it just kind of levels the playing field in the classroom. Like for that short amount of time, everybody is asking questions. And so I think it can be a little uncomfortable at first, but then I think it almost brings like this level of comfort where, you know what, 
nobody's going to sound smarter than anybody else because we're all asking questions. And that's one of the things that I love most about the question formulation technique, for sure. Have you noticed that in your classroom, like that your kids, have they gotten more comfortable the more that you've done it? Yes, definitely. Because like I said, the first time I do it, um, I think it's the kids learning about me too, that mm -hmm. um, I don't really get uncomfortable in silences. So if I give a direction, because um, I love doing this too, I'll give them a simple direction. I'll tell them, okay, I need five groups. And they just kind of sit and stare. And then then you see those little ones, like one will pop up and start counting how many are in the room or um, start moving around. Um, I like those silent times because it tells me a lot. Um, so when we're in that, you know, trying to formulate the questions, you can see their faces too. You can see who has questions, but is too shy to, to ask them. That you see their faces, the ones who really don't have a question. And then once, you know, the first brave little person um, asks the question, then we kind of get going from there because it sparks ideas for other people. Um, but those first few minutes are, they've, I've had some rough ones. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. And I think, I think also what this does is as they kind of prioritize their questions, it gives you insight into what they already know and can kind of guide where you take the learning experience. Like, oh my gosh, like they're ready to dive in. The questions are really deep or, oh my gosh, their questions are really surface level. Like we're starting uh, really at ground zero when it comes to this idea. So I think question formulation technique can add so many layers to the classroom. I think it can give you the educator insight into where you need to go with the learning experience. But I think it can also just give them an opportunity to learn how to ask questions and learn how to be curious and what it feels like to not always have to give the answer, which I think is super important for gifted learners, but really important for all of our learners. So thank you for sharing that. So is there anything else you wanted to share about purpose before we move on to the next part of the framework? Um, one other thing I just thought about with questions. Um, it has helped build community in my room as well because it's kind of that like no judgment time like you said it, it levels the playing field um but it can help build relationships too later on when they actually start diving into the project um they can talk about like oh i noticed you asked this question about this i'd really like to know that too um and it can you know turn into a group project maybe um so that's been really cool to watch them learn about each other through that and be respectful of each other in asking those questions. Um, but it really yeah. helps. It's always, we can always come back to their list of questions um, when they're working on the project. Because, you know, like I said, I mentioned the example of snakes. Um, it, kids get really excited and just want to know all the things about snakes. And then we can stop and be like, okay, but did you answer your original question of, you know, whatever it was? Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's awesome. And I just I really think that when there's purpose behind the presentation, like they know why they're sharing this information, it just makes it so much more meaningful. Like I'm not just standing up here and presenting or standing up here or working on this project just to check off a box. But there's actually a reason behind it. And I just I think there I just think there's a huge benefit to that. And I think our kids understand when they're being asked to do something to check a box. And when they're being asked to do something because there is a legit reason or because there's purpose. And so I just think this can be a really important part of presentation for sure. And really an important part of the entire project. Okay. So second, tell us a little bit about the second part of the framework. The second part is depth. Um, and this kind of keeps them from, sometimes they'll, they'll ask a surface level, surface level question and that will help them with their purpose. But then they think they'll answer that one question and they're done. And so 
we thought depth was a super important piece because we want them to go deeper than that. We want them to see where their first question leads them um, because that's typically what happens. We ask one question and that leads to another and another and it just kind of snowballs. Um, so the two questions that I ask the kids when they're in that depth part is how detailed do I need or want to be? Um, and what resources are available and reliable? And that piece has been huge because um, I'm, like I've mentioned before, they have every re resource they could possibly need at their fingertips. Mm -hmm. But that is a lot of information to sift through for anyone and even more so for like my 10 year olds in my class. They have a lot of experience with the internet, but they don't know what's a reliable source, what's a source they can trust. Mm -hmm. um, they, a lot of them will tell me that Google was their source. And I say, no, Google <laughs> is a search engine. Um, it takes you somewhere else. So, and I have the kids who will come and be like, I cannot use Wikipedia. Wikipedia is wrong. And I'm like, okay, hold on. I understand, but, and so it gives us a really great opportunity to have that um, conversation about how do I know what resources I can trust? Um, how do I search specific terms so I can actually find what I'm looking for and I don't get lost in the millions of resources available? Um, so that's a big part of the depth piece. Um, and like I said, just making sure they're not, the depth piece really adds to the learning something new part yes. they haven't just answered their question they're like okay i'm done um because we say that a lot too with projects they have done a lot of short-term projects throughout their school career um and the way that i use this specifically in science i have their one project ongoing through the unit which is usually a couple of weeks um and we work on it throughout so having that depth piece shows them that one that they can go more in depth, helps them with the resources and make sure that they are actually learning something new. God, I think that's like that, I think is really something that we need to consider when it comes to PBL, but really just when it comes to learning in general. Like, I think what you said was spot on when you said that, you know, sometimes their projects can just be these surface level types of things and, and they don't go deep enough. And I think uh, it's funny because I just finished working on a project called Designing for Depth. And, and it's that same idea of like, sometimes we just don't really consider how to give them opportunities to go either deeper into the content or like you said, just considering things at a deeper level, like even, even their sources and the resources that they're using for their project or for their presentation. Like, have I really thought through this? And I think sometimes things like Genius Hour, passion-based learning can get a bad rap when it is only surface level. So one of the project examples that I always give is like, there's nothing wrong with a kid just wanting to build something with Legos. Um, but when we think about turning that into a Genius Hour or a passion-based project, I think those two pieces that you've talked about so far, what is the purpose of doing that? And then how can we take it even deeper could be really beneficial. And, and I think teachers ask that question. I know they ask that question a lot. Like, how can I get them to move beyond just these cute projects where they're, you know, just building something or just making a poster? And I think what you just shared is kind of the key to that. Like, you've got to really think about the idea of depth and how you can get them to understand not only what it is, but how it can be utilized to make their presentations more meaningful and to make their project uh, more meaningful for themselves, right? Does that kind of 
Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it's something too that it all those times when the kids ask questions during lessons and it kind of has the potential to derail a lesson. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's it's those questions when the kids get so excited and they're on topic with what you're teaching, but like you don't have time in that moment. Um, that is kind of what I talk to them about with the purpose and depth combined. Um, they all have that curiosity. Mm. And we as teachers, we have such a hard battle to fight because we are like, yes, be curious, ask those questions. I do not have time to talk about that right now. Don't ask them right now. Right? Yes. Um, so giving them this framework helps them to kind of channel those questions, know mm. where to put them. And then um, that helps them continue going in depth with something. Um, because how often do they raise their hand, ask that question because they're so excited and then they forget about it immediately. Um, yeah. For sure. That used to happen in my classroom all the time. Like what you said about just like, oh, it's such a good question. I just can't answer it right now, you know, or we can't knowing it would lead us down this rabbit trail into something totally different. So, uh, but I was thinking as you were saying that, like it, it, it wouldn't be a bad idea to like have somewhere in your classroom where your kids write down those questions that are going to lead to deeper conversation on a sticky note. And then if they finish their work early or they've already mastered what's being taught, they have access to all of those questions that they could then go take a sticky note and do the research or do the work to find out, hey, what's the answer to this? Or how could we take this deeper? I think that would be a great way to create meaningful extensions without a lot of work on the teacher's part. Yeah, it's been great for me having it in their notebook, because like I said, I start every unit that way. So they know they can flip back in their notes to the day we started and yeah. find those questions. I have seen um, other teachers use sticky notes, like you said, and they have a specific spot in their room for that. Um, and I think that's great. I think anytime we give kids that outlet um, in a structured way that they can actually do something with all those questions they have. I think I I am just, you know, this is my in a perfect world, I think, but I really hope that that helps them maintain that curiosity because I feel like as students get older and if they're hearing, oh, we can't talk about that right now, we don't have time for that right now, then they're going to stop asking those questions. Mm -hmm. But if we give them this, you know, something, uh, an outlet for that, I think it will help maintain that curiosity. Yeah, that's so good. Gosh, I just I could sit here and talk about this forever just because I think depth is so important. Um, and I think you're I think you're right about, you know, we don't want them to lose that curiosity. And and I think that's a question we ask a lot, like, do they lose the curiosity or are they are they just not curious at school? And I can say, like my own children at home, they still have lots of questions at home. Like sometimes when we're sitting and watching a movie, they're Googling things and they're looking things up constantly about the people in the movie and they have all these questions. And so I don't think they necessarily lose their curiosity as much as they learn to play the school game, right? Like, oh, when I'm at school, every time I try to ask these deep questions, they don't go anywhere. So eventually, you're right, they're going to stop asking them. And so giving them a place to put that, um, whether it be their notebooks or a sticky note on a wall somewhere, gosh, just such a good idea and so important. Okay, moving on. So we've talked about so far, we talked about purpose, we've talked about depth. And so tell us about the third part of the framework. The final part is delivery. And I get so excited about this. Um, when I introduce the framework to the kids, um, I kind of make not a joke out of it, but I tell them, okay, I'm going to give you my impression. 
of a fifth grader doing a presentation. And I stand up at my board and like, I kind of wiggle awkwardly um, because that's what they do. They like bounce from one foot to the other. And then I giggle because that's what they always do. And it's very distracting. And then I usually put up just something on my board that's long and I read it very monotone. And then I look at them and I'm like, have you seen a presentation like this before? And they all say, yes, of course. Like, and then it's funny. Um, and I'm like, raise your hand if you've ever been bored watching a classmate present present something before and they like look around like am I really allowed to say that I've been bored in in the classroom and I'm like yes I I've seen it you guys know it so that's how I introduce this whole thing to them and I give them examples of ways I've seen students deliver their information before mm -hmm. um I've you mentioned earlier doing like a tic-tac-toe or a menu or um having them choose different ways to present and mm -hmm. I've done that um, but I am always hesitant now, like, and that was, that was my go-to for a long time, mm -hmm. but I'm hesitant now because sometimes they find something that they like and they want to do that every time, mm. or they just try something new to, um, kind of make you happy. Or yeah. I give them one example and then I get 40 of that exact same thing. <laughs> and, right. and I tell them, I'm like, oh, this year I have like 60 kids in you know different classes but i tell them i'm like that's good that those are different classes <laughs> yeah yeah kids okay go ahead um, you clear yeah um but i tell them i'm like you are all doing projects on this one topic so i have to watch 60 of these i need to be entertained so i need to see some like enthusiasm i need to see something different like you you're putting on a show for me and of course i, I say it in a joking way but um, they know that, you know, there's so much they could do. So mm -hmm. I give them examples of what students have done in the past because my students are more creative than I am and they always will be. Um, I've had a student who was really shy and I, I we wrote about him in the article as well, but he was kind of shy, um, didn't love doing presentations, but he really liked puppets. So he did, and this like still it will always blow my mind, but he had um, a Sway presentation, which is from Microsoft. It's similar to a PowerPoint. Um, he had that behind him and he would like scroll through and it was just pictures, but everything he did to present the project was through his puppets and he would do voices and they had personalities and it was the coolest thing. Um, and it complemented what he was presenting. And um, so that's what I, I tell the kids, I'm like, once you've done your purpose in depth, you know your topic, you know what all you're going to tell about it, that's when you can decide how to deliver it. And sometimes a PowerPoint is absolutely appropriate for that. Mm -hmm. But so often other things might work better or you might be able to show your audience, um, explain something more quick, more efficiently by using something else. So um, I've had kids make, I had some, one group, we were doing human body and they made a model of a heart out of clay or Play-Doh. And then they also wrote a reader's theater and then had their classmates perform. And that was their presentation. Awesome. Um, the year that we were online, I had a student, um, we have access to Minecraft for education. I had a student design, he like in Minecraft built an entire human body that you could fly through and you could stop at each um, body part and there was like a sign that explained the body system. It oh, explained what the function of the organ was. Um, 
and I I can't imagine how long this t- took him, but it was incredible. Um, we've had a radio show that the kids performed. Some kids made like a brochure that was like, you know, I could have made copies of it and mm-hmm. published it. Um, so many cool things. Um, so that all comes into that delivery piece. I think I love that because I think that's the key is helping them understand that there's more to a presentation than just standing up and giving information. Like, I love the questions you guys share in the article, like really asking them to think through it. Am I trying to persuade, inform or entertain my audience? One of the things that you talked about in the article that I just kind of want to know a little bit more about. Tell us about a decision matrix and how you guys use that or what that is. Okay, so we with groups, I love giving my kids the opportunity to work in groups and to work independently. And some of this comes back to my gifted learners because I have the ones who always want to work in the groups and then I have ones who always want to work on their own. Um, So I want to help them develop those collaboration skills because, you know, in the real world, sometimes we get to work on our own, but not always. Um, So we have to make sure we have strategies to productively work in a group. Um, So using that decision matrix, um, there, there, I've seen several different ways to use this, but, um, thinking about the purpose, depth and delivery pieces, um, the kids can put their ideas, um, into the, I'm trying, I'm struggling with the way to, without having it like in front of me. I'm struggling Absolutely. with the way to put it can, into words. I, I was looking it up too. I can link to it. I can link to the article so that they can read about it. It'll be just, it might be just as easy for people to read about it. Cause it does look like it's kind of hard to explain exactly what it is, but. Um, and it's kind of, I've used it kind of like a grid. So each okay. student can put their idea, um, like maybe on the left side, each student writes their idea. And then you kind of give a score to each idea and that can help them decide how to best present their information. I like that. Does that okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just I had never thought of that, nor have I ever seen that used. Uh, I'm not sure how I haven't seen that, but I haven't. And so I think that um, I was just interested to see or hear what that looked like. And so you guys have, it's actually linked in your article, so they can definitely follow that link. And I'll also put some additional content that I found as well. So Yeah, that makes total sense. But I just love this whole idea of you guys really helping people think through, you know, when we just ask our students to present and we just say, okay, you're going to present, they're going to do exactly what you said. Like they're going to, they're going to get up and they're going to deliver a PowerPoint and it's going to be awkward and weird. (laughs) They're not going, it's intentionality, I think is what you're talking about. Like, how can I help them be intentional about considering who their audience is going to be, what are they looking to do through their presentation and how are they going to make that a reality? And I just love the idea of being intentional and purposeful about thinking through that before your students present. So for me and the six P's of genius hour, like when they get to that last part and they're going to present, I just think all of the tips that you guys give in this article are super beneficial because it just allows us to be more, purposeful about that part of the project is that kind of does that make sense does that sound yes yeah being intentional is a perfect way to describe it and one question that's in the delivery part um is what would i like to see as an audience member and Mm -hmm. that comes back to the when i when i always ask them you know have you ever had to sit through a presentation and you were completely bored or um (laughs) 
I, I talk to them too about when they're delivering. Sometimes their body language or like if they're giggling or if they're not exactly sure, sometimes that can be so distracting that your audience doesn't get the point. Um, all they remember is you were sitting up there with your best friend and giggling the whole time. Mm -hmm. So trying to keep that in mind of what they would like to see as an audience member um, not only helps them when they're designing their project, but it can help them think about who they are as a learner. Um, how do they learn best? Do they learn best by someone, you know, having visuals up or a model or um, one group one time used um, Kahoot or quizzes, one of the like online quiz platforms. Um, yeah. And that was part of their presentation. And, you know, like if that's what you love as a learner, you know, your audience will probably love that too if you include that as part of your presentation. So having them be, like you said, intentional about each piece. Um, we've seen a lot of growth and I've had to sit through far less um, PowerPoints. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah, because it, it's just as important for us as educators, right? Like we don't want to watch 60 of the same presentations and neither do their peers. And so I just love everything that you've shared and, and really this idea of thinking through how do we make presentations purposeful? How do we make them, how do we do them in a way so that they will provide depth and so that our students go deeper into whatever it is that they're learning and considering? And then ultimately, how do we really give them an opportunity to deliver that presentation in a way that makes sense? So uh, as we kind of wrap up here, I just want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything else that you would share or add on or that you want to say to the audience um, that would help them kind of make a connection? If they're implementing this type of learning in their classroom, maybe what would be your best piece of advice or if they wanted to implement this framework? I think one, like I said, with question formulation technique, it's going to be a bit bumpy. And I mean, your whole thing, it's going to be a little bit messy and that's okay. Um, <laughs> not being afraid to not have all the answers, letting yourself learn alongside your students and letting it be a little bit messy until you guys all figure it out. Um, it's a great, I, I love being able to show my kids the human side of me and sometimes I'll ask questions and I'll just kind of pause and be like, oh, I really, I really don't know. Let's find out. And that, you know, can take our lesson in a new direction that's engaging and I'm still covering my content. Um, sometimes it's like in a sneaky way, like they don't even know that I'm covering my content, but I am. Um, but I think just that, like, be, be like, try to practice being okay with those uncomfortable silences. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, try it together and, you know, change it in a way that works for you too. Um, that was my thing with, like I said, I read a meaningful mess in genius hour and like, I was nervous because I was like, okay, what if my administrators walk in and I'm doing this and like, they don't know what it is. And it looks like my kids are just playing. Um, so trying to find that balance. And I think that's different for every person finding how to bring in um, passion-based learning and personalized learning and still, you know, teach what we need to teach, find the balance that works for you and embrace that and don't be afraid to change it up. Oh, that's so good. It's almost like seeing, it's almost like seeing the messiness kind of on a kind of like a spectrum, like there are levels of messiness, right? And some of us yes. are okay with being really messy and some of us are okay with a little bit of being messy and some of us just really aren't comfortable with it at all. But that was the whole goal behind a meaningful mess. And it means so much to me to hear people like you who have read it and kind of embrace that idea of, you know what, 
there, there is a time to be okay with things being messy, ultimately, as long as it's meaningful. And man, the things that you shared with us today on this podcast, it just, I feel like has given us an opportunity to look at presentations through a new lens and to do exactly what we just said, like be okay with it being messy, but also really the goal is to make it more meaningful. And so I just think you guys have done such a great job with that, with this framework. And I just appreciate the work that you're doing in the classroom and am so honored that number one, you read the books and number two, that you were willing to hop on the podcast and share your ideas. So thank you so much for being here. One last thing, I want to give everybody an opportunity to connect with you if they would like to. So if somebody wanted to reach out and had questions about the article or had questions for you about how you implemented this framework, how would you like for them to contact you? I am on Twitter at sleep, eat, learn. And that comes from, I think learning is as basic a need as sleeping and eating. We need all of those things. So that is me on Twitter um, at sleep, eat, learn. That is awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Tiffany, for being here. You guys, everything that we talked about, including the decision matrix, all of those things will be linked in the show notes. So be sure that you check those out. If you have any questions, feel free to follow up. You can always visit my website at andymcnair.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at a underscore meaningful underscore mess. I can always put you in contact with Tiffany. So thank you so much for listening. As always, I hope that this episode helps you find a little meaning in your mess. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to learn with me today. I absolutely love this community and enjoy sharing and learning with you. Check out today's episode notes by swapping up in most podcast apps. If you'd like to learn and connect more, you can follow me over on Twitter at McNairAN3, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at A Meaningful Mess. You can always find tons of resources, inspiration, and information over on my website, andymcnair.com. Be sure to check out my blog, Genius Hour resources, and so much more. Enjoy the rest of your day, and as always, I hope that today's episode has inspired you to find meaning in your mess.